good evening, everyone. Welcome. Feel free to move down closer if you like. You don't have to sit in your ticketed seats right now. You can <clears throat> go find them after we finish. I'd like to welcome everyone to the War Memorial Opera House, to San Francisco Ballet's uh, opening night of Program 3 in our repertory season. This is Thursday, February 24th, 2011. I'm Mary Wood for the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education. The Center for Dance Education produces the Meet the Artist interviews, produces the Points of View lectures, a lot of other educational programming. And as some of you know, we record these interviews and a lot of these programs for podcasting. So I hope you'll go to the ballet's website, sfballet.org, and catch these interviews, catch a lot of really interesting things going on on the website now. They have video. They have the blog, Studio 455, um, so do encourage you to check that out. This evening, it's my great pleasure to be in conversation with Jody Gates, who is the repetiteur for William Forsyth's ballet artifact suite, which you will see tonight. I know that's a favorite with many folk, and so it will be fun to hear some of the inside scoop on artifacts, as well as a lot of the other things about the repertoire of William Forsythe and maybe some other things. Um, Jody, welcome and thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. It's great to be here and thank you for all coming to hear what we have to say about Artifact Suite and William Forsythe. Um, I know many of you are very longtime ballet aficionados and I don't hope this isn't an embarrassment, but many of you may have seen Jody on this stage back in the day when you were a dancer with the Joffrey Company. Yeah, in fact, yes. the first experience I had with, with William Forsyth was in the Joffrey Ballet in 1983. That kind of says what my age is, but I was very young and uh, <laughs> just out of the cradle. Um, and uh, I had the opportunity to be in his piece called Love Songs. I don't know if any of you ever saw that. It's a piece that's no longer done, unfortunately, but it's one of those works that uh, he felt was in its time appropriate and now is dated. And as a living master choreographer, you have that opportunity to say yes or no, whether that piece continues to have a life. And Love Songs was, I think, it was premiered not in San Francisco, but I have to say it's probably the third venue that we performed it in. And that was my first experience with, with William Forsyth in 1983. Full Circle would have it 20 years later in my career. I went and joined Frankfurt Ballet and uh, danced for uh, Mr. Forsyth for five years. And now I uh, stage his productions all over the world, which is quite an honor. Well, we know the um, Joffrey Company, most of us, I think, uh, for the reputation of um, eclectic repertoire of demanding of the dancers wide versatility and I you, you know you were part of that for a number of years maybe you could actually give us a little bit of a trajectory of your own career um, 
Sure. Yes, in fact, it's uh, interesting to be here and see San Francisco Ballet, where I feel like the vision is, is similar in the sense of what Robert Joffrey was in the 70s and 80s, that uh, I feel that the vision here is quite strong, forward-thinking, a focus on the classics and a focus on the innovative works. And that's how I was brought up in the Joffrey Ballet. In fact, I joined the Joffrey at the age of 16. I was discovered in Sacramento, California and uh, my mother still lives there. And I um, joined Joffrey to the Apprentice Company when I was 16, joined the Joffrey Ballet when I was 17, and had a 14, 15 year career there, dancing versatile work with, with the opportunity to work with Agnes DeMille, uh, Martha Clark, uh, oh geez, just name them. You know, well besides Robert Joffrey being a huge mentor, William Forsyth, uh, all the greats, Mark Morris, Paul Taylor. And uh, with that behind me and that sort of uh, mythology of, of a versatile repertory, I w it was uh, easy for me to then transfer that knowledge and I joined Pennsylvania Ballet for five years and I danced all the balancing works. I was very, very lucky. Yeah, it was a challenge for me. I was known as sort of the eclectic, versatile uh, Joffrey ballerina. And, uh, but I was very fortunate to have a very full, I was a principal dancer there, I had a very full career dancing the full lengths and, and all the great works of George Balanchine, whom, by the way, is the, a huge mentor of William Forsyth. Right, well, so then this is kind of a segue to what drew you to, um, to go, you, we know that you danced in his work, but what pulled you then to Frankfurt and his company? I think at that point I had such a full career already. I had worked with Robert Joffrey and I hear I had done all the classic ballets that we all know and love and including balancing work. And what I craved more than anything was working solely with one master choreographer and to really dig deep into his philosophy. And uh, at that point in my career, it was ending my career in fact, I found it fascinating to to indeed try to be a part of his process. And what did happen was I was there for five years and I got the opportunity to not only dance one of the leads that you'll see this evening is one of the roles that I danced quite often and uh, also assisted him on a few premieres in Frankfurt. And I was watching a man create work that was you know, awe-inspiring. And uh, from that point I asked him prior to leaving Frankfurt if I uh, could be uh, have the opportunity to stage his works, and uh, fortunately, he gave me that that key. So, uh, yeah. And we know um, because our own company does works that I consider to be contrasting. There may be others remembering love songs. That's yet another contrast. But <clears throat> vertiginous thrill of exactitude is to the music of Schubert, and it's the dancers are in sort of tutus, um, and yet then we turn around and we see um, in the middle to the electronic score. Um, this is a very fertile mind that is creating these things. Tell us a little yeah. bit about yeah. your experience of that fertile mind. How many of you have seen any work of William Forsyth? Oh, you all have, okay. So what, what I find fascinating about him is um, his ability to deconstruct neoclassical dance and finding new ways of deconstructing neoclassicism. 
and uh, also through that he works a lot with uh, improvisation. So it's almost as though you're melding this sort of modern contemporary world with something that's quite pure classical ballet. And uh, with his work, for example, um, Artifact Suite that you see this evening was uh, created originally in 1984 on the Frankfurt Ballet. It was one of the first full evening works that Bill had created in Frankfurt as director. He began directing Frankfurt Ballet in 1984. And the work originally was four acts. In fact, it still is being performed. So the, the real story behind Artifact Suite is this. Artifact is the name of the original ballet. It's four acts. And in fact, there are two speakers, two actors in, in the full-length ballet that carry the entire evening. And then there's one pr other principal character that's called the Mud Woman, who's dressed all in gray. She looks like she's mud, yeah? And then it's a full cast of characters. Well, this piece is quite, um, quite rich in a, in a narrative that's abstract. Uh, it's somewhat of a story of some, someone that looks like a queen, someone that looks like her husband, and then there's possibly a lover. Maybe, I, you know, it's, a, it's an abstract story with text that almost has riddles. And the text goes throughout the ballet. It's four acts. So in fact, upon, in, uh, I believe it was 2004, upon the departure when I left Ballet Frankfurt, Bill decided to do a smaller version of the full-length ballet called Artifact because he realized in the piece itself it sustained a lot of great dance work. And could it be done a sweet version, meaning something smaller that could be a repertory work on a mixed program like this evening? So he uh, asked me to go to, a, it was Scottish Ballet that premiered this version, and he asked me to work with him on creating a version of Artifact. It then, it then was called Suite of Artifact. So we worked via phone and video and emails and, and things, and we uh, put together a version that does not have the actors, so this evening there are no two actors, but there is the complete dance sections within the work. So without it being a narrative, it's simply the display of the movement, the purity of the movement, the, the lighting that is simple and almost the dancers seem invisible, uh, thus their pure classicism shines through that, that sort of gauze that's on stage, but there is no narrative in this sweet version. And it was quite successful in, in Scotland when we premiered it. It's been tweaked and fixed since then a bit, but it's really, uh, it works very well. In fact, the first section that you see this evening is originally the second act, okay? And then the last section, there's two sections you see this evening, is a combination of all the dances that would float through the entire four-act ballet. That's an interesting thing about the second section that I hadn't known. Mm. <clears throat> I know some companies actually do what's called Artifact 2, which is only the final. The first section, actually, which is the Bach Chicon. Okay, and that's the gold. Yes. Gold looking, okay, I hadn't played. Um, talk about the music a little bit. Sure. This is quite fascinating. The, the Bach Chaconne, uh, the Partita II, which we all are very familiar with, I'm sure it's just one of my favorite pieces of music. In fact, Bill uh, did not, I, I believe originally he might have had live music, but I'm not certain for the Bach. But actually, in fact, it, 
It's now almost always performed to tape because this particular recording has very special nuances and breaths and ebbs and flows and rises and falls that with, for the dancers, it's so important. When I teach the work, I, I talk about um, the dancers are the, are the strings. You are the bow playing that sound. And so when I coach a ballerina, that top of the bow before you strum is your transition into pique. Yeah, so um, it's very, very important, and Bill always says, musicality, musicality, musicality. It's as though you want to, the music is exuding out of you, yeah? So the Bach piece uh, is always done to tape. The second half is uh, composed by a woman by the name of Eva Grossman Hecht, who was a collaborator of Bill's and composer in Germany at the time. What she was given was the idea from Bill to take the Bach Chacon and deconstruct it. So the chords and music of the entire second section are in fact inspired by the Bach Chacon. It might not sound like it, but there, it, he, that was her original inspiration. Now, as well, there's going to be a slight pause in this evening's uh, artifact suite. It's always there that dancers have to change. It's about a two-minute pause. Within that pause, you'll hear some music, and the music, it's, you'll faintly hear it, is actually the Bach Chacon played backwards. A lot of, I, I, I believe a lot, a lot of the work that <laughs> Bach did right could be played backwards because he had this mathematical crazy brain. But in uh, Bill very much like him, has an incredibly strong intellect. And uh, you know, his, his ideas, he's constantly coming up with new innovations, yeah. There's, in the program notes that you probably have, <clears throat> there's an article about the ballet and an interview, some quotes that um, came from an interview with you. And you said something I just that struck me, and I... Um, don't have a note with me, but I think I can paraphrase. You said that um, what we see, Bill's choreography is a synthesis of the choreographers who had influenced him. And that was intriguing, and I wonder if you'd sort of um, unpack that a little bit. Well, Bill has always said that his work is as good as his mentors. And in fact, uh, you'll see a huge influence from the great George Balanchine. And Bill admits it readily. He's picked up works, you know, he's inspired by Trisha Brown, you know, and the groundedness of his work, the plie, the, the, the timings. He's inspired very much by George Balanchine with the syncopations and the counterpoints. For instance, have you seen Theme and Variations? And if not, you'll see it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Well, last year, I didn't see it was on last year's season, so many folks saw it then. I was watching the dress rehearsal the other day, and I realized the counterpoints and rhythms that are happening within that piece of choreography that was built, choreographed in the 40s, is outstanding. And in fact, Bill absolutely emulates that extreme sense of, of musicality and counterpoint and counter rhythm and polyrhythm. Um, so I have to say that is as he. He's also uh, greatly inspired by the great, great classical ballets. Every, like me, as, a, as a, someone that stages his work and I myself choreograph, 
I absolutely utilize what my body automatically um, feels comfortable doing, which is a resource of all those ballets I've ever performed in my entire career. So you have 20 years of a library, a physical library in your body that you can just call upon. And, and I believe that he did the same thing. He worked with John Krenko in Stuttgart, one of the great uh, choreographers. And he, John Krenko, who came out of his company, John Newmeyer, Yuri Killian, William Forsyth. Yes. Uh, you alluded to, uh, several times now to um, this admiration for Balanchine. Balanchine is very well known as being a proficient musician, actually had graduated from the Moscow or the St. Petersburg Music Conservatory back in the, um, his training days. Um, we know that Forsyth's work is extraordinarily musical when we look at it. Does he have that same education in music? Does he play instruments that you're aware of? You know, I'm not quite certain. He, he has an innate intuition that's really quite incredible. And something about Bill's work that I try to <clears throat> deliver and stress to the dancers is that it's not just the, the music that you hear on top. It's not just the one and a two and a three. It's the one and a it's all that space in between that first of all can be up for interpretation, yeah? But it's also can allow the body to really discover and move in different ways where we didn't have that opportunity 20, 30 years ago between those counts. No, you go from one to two to three to curtsy. So there is, a, there is definitely his play within the music. For instance, he'll start creating a new piece and play around with phrases with his own company to house music, techno. Because there's kind of, there's a d definite uh, um, light, there's a nice rhythm to it. It gets you grounded and automatically you feel slightly different than if you had your point shoes on, right? Talk a little bit about the sheer physicality um, the dancers just look sure. like they are using every sinew. Well, to, to elaborate on what I just said, in, in one of the first large group sections of dancing, once they know the, the steps, I put on actual like house music or Mariah Carey or, you know, some Britney Spears, some, something kind of Lady Gaga, whoever's, you know, in at the time. And I make them dance to it so that it has a verb and um, energy that that singer is singing at, all right? So his, his work, the physicality of his work is in the, the intention of the movement, meaning that the steps, all the transitions between each move are equally as important. Yes, and that's so that there's, it's okay to see the work. When you watch Sleeping Beauty and you see the Aurora uh, Rose Adagio, you don't want to see her working so hard. But in this type of work, you want to see the ballerina look heavy, give all of her weight, feel, feel her plie, really get into the floor. Almost a struggle, but it shouldn't be with, it should be without effort. Because with, uh, a sense of opposition when they're partnering, there's always a sense of counterbalance. So the partnering is always off the verticality of the point shoe or the dancers. So if you pull away evenly, it's like playing in a playground, you know, two kids just holding hands and circling. It has that sort of sensation. So it, 
though his work is very physical and you're exhausted by the end, when you learn to really understand the movement, it is very organic. We have gotten to the point where we want to make sure we give the audience an opportunity to ask questions, so I'm going to open it up now. I got later than I thought. Um, let's start. Your hand went up first. The question is, who is playing the Chacon? I'll have to ask the audio man. And it should be in the program notes. It's not. I noticed that it's not in the program notes. Even, even at the back of where it lists credits in, in six-point type. It's ah, okay. the, the number of the recording. You could probably Google it, actually, because it has the, I, I saw that, too, and I, I don't remember. I know I knew, mm -hmm. but I don't remember. Sorry. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, I saw another hand. Let's go to someone else, and then we'll come back. I saw a hand. Yes. That's an interesting question. What does it mean to stage a work? Stage or reconstruct. Okay, we'll use both of those words. When you're staging a work, uh, if it was, say it was a, a show like West Side Story, that, that work is being done all over the world in different uh, venues and different opera houses, but who's teaching that work to each cast? So staging William Forsyth's work is that I have the authority to, to teach, cast the dancers, teach them the roles, produce, in other words, coordinate with the technical staff, the artistic staff, make sure the audio is correct, the scenery looks right, all of the above. So staging encompasses putting that work in its entirety and placing it over here. And that would <clears throat> obviously imply a work that is already in, that already exists, as opposed right. to the creating to a premiere, as opposed to a, a new piece of choreography. So I'm staging an existing work. Something over here. I thought I saw. Yeah. The, the great thing about Bill is that he's very pliable, but I, st I stay to a version. But with Bill's work, just um, the way his work is, is it's constantly changing. I just worked with him. I staged uh, this piece, Artifact Suite, at La Scala in Italy just a few months ago. And he was there, so I was reminded of a few things. And he often, if he works directly with a company, will change bits and parts for that dancer. He did that here originally, in fact. He changed certain sections minutely. So I, I follow his lead, and I, I know what he looks for in, the, in the, the intention of the choreography, and within that, that structure, if a ballerina looks better doing her arm there rather than there, fine. It's really, it's really quite an individual experience, yeah. Yeah, the, the question actually, I'm sure you could infer it, was um, what leeway do you have? And um, it's interesting because it varies from choreographer to choreographer. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, the musicali musicality is, remains always the same, and the, the structure and the choreography, but the approach can be different depending on the dancer. Can you speak a little about the 
Some of the folks who've already seen this work will recall that there's a point at which the curtain comes down, and then it goes back up, and then it comes down, and then it goes back up, etc. What's that about? I think he was just deconstructing what we know of as transitions in classical ballet, where you transition to go up, and everybody comes on, and you, you know, it was where his transition was, there's no transition, boom. The dancers behind the curtain re-go into a next figure to, for the next scene, curtain comes up, oh, it's a new scene. So I think it was his way of deconstructing, yeah. Um, okay, yes. That's kind of an interesting thing because uh, you, you staged it five years ago. You're back again five years later. What's different? What's well, new? I'm, I'm five years older. <laughs> but, uh, but no, uh, it's the same version. Uh, there's slightly different cast. So you'll see most of the principles are new. Uh, and uh, what's interesting is when many of these dancers, in fact, one of them was just approaching me backstage before I came out here said, you know, it's so interesting to approach this piece five years later, I'm five years older, and I have that much more experience, and it feels so good. So for me, it's also I'm familiar with the company, and you know, I, it's a it's such an easy working process, and I feel like I can I can relate to them as individuals and friends. We're going to take one more question. Yeah. How long does the staging process take? Staging processes vary depending on the piece. This piece normally needs two people to stage it in at least four weeks. This time we only had three weeks to put it on stage and I came here in November for three weeks. I had the generous support of two of the ballet masters, three in fact, and they really taught, retaught what I taught in 2006 to the group so they had an idea and then I came and put it all together, but it was really with their help that I was able to do it so quickly. This piece is normally staged by two people, and it was only myself from the Forsyth side that came. If I could just um, elaborate on that a little bit, it's a very complex piece. So it's, you know, you don't have 16 girls in four straight lines. <laughs> and you, you don't have to just count to eight. You know, there's fives and th it's, it's this crazy counter rhythms going out on throughout the work. So it's a, in one section, there's four different uh, canons going on. So it's, it's really a tricky dance to stage. It takes a lot of time and, and thoughtfulness and care to make it look the way it should. And, and I think you'll be very happy. I, I'm very happy with the way they're dancing. And I think it's really one of the best that I've seen. There's going to be a very loud half-hour call in seconds, so I'm afraid we have to wrap this up. For those of you who came in a little bit late, it's been um, my pleasure to be in conversation with Jody Gates, the repetitor for the William Forsyth Ballet Artifact Suite, which will be on tonight's program. I want to repeat that you can go to the website, sfballet.org, to hear a podcast of our interview. If you came in late, you get to hear the beginning. And at this point, just to say, Thank you so much. This has been wonderfully illuminating.
And thank you all and enjoy the performance. Thank you.